You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Dine For, the podcast where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Gretchen Rubin. I understand much better how to make choices that will lift me up to the top of my natural range rather than allowing me to drift down to the bottom of my natural range. So I'm still the same person, but I have a much happier life. Gretchen Rubin is a celebrated author and speaker, best known for her New York Times bestsellers, including The Happiness Project, Better Than Before, and The Four Tendencies. Her books, which delve into the intricacies of happiness and human nature, have sold millions of copies and have been translated into over 30 languages. Transitioning from a law career, including a clerkship for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, Rubin found her calling in writing. She hosts the acclaimed podcast Happier with Gretchen Rubin and founded the Happier app, both dedicated to promoting happiness-boosting habits. Rubin's work has led to notable interactions with figures like Oprah and the Dalai Lama. She's now based in New York City, and her journey continues to inspire and influence a global audience. Please enjoy my conversation with Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen, how are you? I'm great. So fun to be talking to you today. Excellent. Thrilled to have you on. I cannot wait to dive into your story, but I'm going to begin this podcast by asking, where is your favorite restaurant? You live in New York. If you could take me anywhere to any spot, where would it be? I would take you to Kansas City, Missouri, Ah. to Winstead's Diner. 
That is my favorite restaurant in the whole world. They make a hamburger like nobody else does. And so that's where I would take you. Oh my gosh. Is this a place you grew up going? Yes. So I've been going there my whole life. I go there every time I go back to Kansas City, usually the first day, often straight from the airport. It's sort of (laughs) part of my family identity, which is we eat Winsteads together. And and it's funny because I talk about it all the time. A lot of people, when they when they end up going to Kansas City, for some reason, they'll go and it's, you know, it's a diner. It's not usually what you think of as a destination restaurant, but it's super important to me. So I love it. That is fantastic. You grew up in Kansas City. I know your father was an attorney. I'm wondering, as you were making your way through high school, who did you want to be? You obviously went to law school, but what mm-hmm. what were you what were you thinking then? What was your dreams for yourself as a high school into college person? Well, here's the thing about me, which is that I never think ahead that way. And I mean, really? I, and I do not say that with pride. I often will caution people against drift. Drift is the decision that we make by not deciding or by taking the most obvious solution or doing what the people around us are doing or what they think is a great idea. And my father's a lawyer. He's a very happy lawyer. He didn't put any pressure on me to go go to law school. But I was like, as a high school student, I didn't think beyond college. And when I was in college, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I'm good at research and writing. And I and it's law school is a great education. And I can always change my mind later. And this will keep my options open. So I don't know what else to do. So I'll go to law school. So I did not spend any time thinking about, well, who who do I want to emulate or what life do I want? I was like, I, I really don't know. So I'll go to law school. Well, first of all, that is inspiring in and of itself because there's so many people who fall into that category. And to think that you can, from that build what you've built, written what you've written and created what you've created is really inspiring. So take me to, you are a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. Was there a defining moment that changed what you would do with your life? Absolutely. And I can tell you exactly, like literally I could walk you right to the the place where it happened. So I was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. So I was working, you know, at this very, very interesting law job. And um, so one thing about me my whole life, back to when I was like six, I will get extremely interested in a subject and I'll do a ton of research and note taking just for my own pleasure. It's just something that I've always done. So I was out uh, going for a walk during my lunch hour while I was clerking. So I was on Capitol Hill and I was walking around Capitol Hill and I was looking at the Capitol Dome against the blue sky. And I just asked myself sort of a, a theoretical question, you know, what am I interested in that everybody in the world is interested in. And I thought, well, power, money, fame, sex. And to me, it was like those words just became electrifying power, money, fame, sex. And I just went and started researching and researching and researching and taking notes. And I mean, it just took over. I was doing it at night. I was doing it on the weekends. And finally, at a certain point, it occurred to me, you know, this is the kind of thing a person would do if they were going to write a book. Mm. And I thought, well, Mm. maybe I could write that book. Yes. So then I went to the bookstore and got a book called How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal. And I just followed the directions. Are you kidding me? I mean, that makes it sound a lot easier than it was, but that is what happened. But that's great. And thank you for your transparency because there's so many people who want to write and have a writing career like yours. So that's not what I thought you would say. I thought you would say Mm. that there was a moment of dis-ease in your career that you were unhappy, Mm. that you were unfulfilled, Mm -hmm. that led you to on this quest for happiness. But you're telling me that's not the situation. 
Well, you mean what made me take the turn to happiness? Yes. No, because it's interesting a lot because uh, the happiness project was actually my fourth book. So power, money, fame, sex was my first book. So a lot of people assume that I went right from law to that book. But like many people, I worked like a dog for 10 years to be an overnight success. So the happiness project was my fourth book. I had, I had, so I was well-established as a writer by that time, but I feel like I was very fortunate in making like a huge career shift because I think for many people, they know what they don't want, but they don't know what they do want. And then, so they have to figure out, well, what do I want? And that's hard. I was really lucky because I was sort of, I was in this job that was interesting, but I really didn't see what my next job would be. But I really, really, really wanted to write a book. And it wasn't even like, I really want to be a writer. It's like, I really want to write this book. And by the way, I've already done a huge amount of work that a person would do in order to write that book. So it was less about leaving something and more like going towards something. And, you know, and I had this thought, like, I would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. So let me take my shot. And then I'll see, I'll just reevaluate. And I think that made it a lot easier for me. Yes. And isn't there something really powerful when you're not running away from something, but yes. you're running to something? And what you're telling it's me so, is that you were running to something, towards something. Yes. It's so much clearer. What is the number one question you get when people know what you've written and they come to you? What is the number one question you get the most? What's the secret to happiness? And how do you answer it? I say there are two answers to that question. One is relationships. Both ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that to be happy, we have to have strong relationships. We have to have enduring intimate bonds. We have to be able to get support and give support. We need to be able to confide. We need to feel like we belong. So anything that tends to deepen or broaden our relationships makes us happier. Or you could answer that question by saying self-knowledge that we can only build a happy life on the foundation of our own interests, our own values, our own temperament, our own temptations, our own weaknesses and strengths. And so if you're going to figure out how to be happy, you really have to do it the right way for you because what makes Kate happy is not going to be what makes Gretchen happy. And so there's no magic one size fits all solution. There's no best way. There's no right way. No one can tell you what the right way is for you because you're unique, exactly like everybody else. You seem like somebody who really enjoys the process of something. You talked about researching and how it's kind of in you. Can you talk a little bit about the process of writing The Happiness Project and Mm. what that was like for you? And did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. Every book I write, I'm always like, it'll never be this good again. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I like this book even more. Well, I got the idea for it. I was finishing up my biography of JFK, 40 Ways to Look at JFK. And I had, I was stuck on a city bus in the pouring rain. And so I had a moment to step back and ask myself a big question. And I thought, well, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, I want to be happy. But I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier if it's even possible to make yourself happy. And I thought, you know, I should do a happiness project and figure all this out. So I went out to the library. Again, this is something that happens to me very frequently. I'll get very interested in something. I ran to the library, got a giant stack of books, started doing a bunch of research, started taking a bunch of notes. And it was just going to be for me. It was just going to be for my private life. But it was the subject was so vast and so fascinating. And there were so many things that I wanted to try out, you know, as experiments that finally I thought, well, maybe this should be my next book project. And I called it The Happiness Project because that's how I conceived of it that very first day in the bus. So it's so the way The Happiness Project worked is I took a year, divided it into themes that I thought were likely to contribute to happiness. 
with each one did a handful of concrete manageable resolutions to see, well, if I did these things, would I make myself happier? And like, what would I discover? And so it was, you know, I was my own guinea pig in a giant lab experiment in happiness. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. What did that process teach you personally about happiness? How happy were you? And do you feel like you got happier through the process, writing the book and going through that? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question because, you know, on the one to 10 scale, I I score seven. So I'm like, you know, a fairly cheerful person, but not super, I don't score super high or low. And I think if you said to me, well, Gretchen, did you change? I would say, no, if I'm lying in bed, waiting to fall asleep, if I'm on the subway staring into space, I'm Gretchen. I'm the same Gretchen always. But what's different is my experience of my life is so much happier. I am so much better at making choices and mastering habits that make me feel enthusiastic and loving and friendly and energetic. And I do so many fewer things that make me bored or angry or resentful or guilty or regretful. I understand much better how to make choices 
that will lift me up to the top of my natural range rather than allowing me to drift down to the bottom of my natural range. So I'm still the same person, but I have a much happier life. And can you give us a concrete example of one of those just so people can imagine it for their own lives? Well, here's a funny one. This is a little teeny one. So this is not the most significant thing you would do for your happiness, but many people say, oh, this changed my life, which is to follow the one minute rule. So if there's anything you can do in less than a minute, you do it without delay. If you can put a cup in the dishwasher, if you can put your trash in the recycling, if you could put your coat on a hook, do it without delay. And what this does is it gets rid of that sort of scum of clutter that's on the surface of everyday life. And I, again, like I wrote a whole little book, Outer Order Intercom, because it always it's always surprising to me what a lift, even like an emotional lift people get from clearing clutter. Not everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people are clutter blind, like my sister, but most people feel this. And so they get this very disproportionate charge of energy and even like good cheer from getting rid of that clutter, which just makes people feel weighed down. So again, this isn't the most significant thing that you could do, but it is something that many people report. Wow, you know, this is a little thing that I could do very easily just in these like little moments of my life. I don't have to set aside any time. I don't have to work on any habit. It doesn't demand anything from me. And yet, you know, a week after doing this, you have really eliminated a lot of clutter in your environment. And for many people, that really helps with focus and a feeling of happiness. Well, it's the Marie Kondo effect, right? Does this spark joy? If it doesn't, let it go. Well, it's interesting about Marie Kondo because Marie Kondo is a person who says there is one way and there is a best way. And that is the way of Marie Kondo. And I love Marie Kondo stuff and I, I follow much of it, but I'm like, there's no one right way. Like she says, do it alone. I'm like, some people need a friend. And she says, don't play music or a podcast. I'm like, some people like to have music yeah. or podcast. So I would say do it in the way that's right for you. But right. But what I love about Marie Kondo is her focus on how much our possessions and our surroundings influence us, which they clearly do. And so, you know, taking the time to follow whatever strategy works for you, her strategy or another, or, or, you know, I think most people sort of customize it to suit themselves. This podcast will drop in January when people are kind of reimagining their lives. They're thinking yes. about how is this year going to be different? You made an interesting point that we all have like a set point of happiness and we can we can increase it a little bit and deviate, but it's really hard to jump from like, if you say you're like a, a two on the happiness scale to an eight, that's going to take yeah. a lot of work and inner work. And that is, you know, you're like, I'm only one woman. I've written in a book. I can only do so much for you. But I imagine that you get a lot of questions from people who really are a set four or a five. And what do you say to someone that says, I just can't be happy. I, mm. I find myself sad mm -hmm. all the time or upset. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you've gotten this. Mm -hmm. What is your approach to them? And what do you say to them to set them on a path that might be a little bit happier? Well, one thing I want to say is that I don't deal with depression. So depression is a very serious condition. It demands urgent attention. I think it's sort of out. It's a third category. I would call it ordinary happiness, ordinary unhappiness, and then depression. So I'm not talking about depression, though. Over the time, a lot of people who have depression will say to me, well, what you write about helps me, too. So that is great. I'm great. great. It's useful. But I'm just talking about sort of ordinary and that's a great clarification. Now, what you're talking about for the four. Well, the research suggests that about 50 percent of happiness is genetically determined. So we are hardwired. So people come into the world. Some are Tiggers and some are Eeyores. So somebody might be kind of in, but, but we don't really have a set point as much as we have a set range. So one person's natural range might be six to nine. 
And another person's natural range might be four to seven. So I think that the question for all of us is, what can I do with my conscious thoughts and actions that can help push me to the top of my natural range? Because in addition to the genetic factors, there's also something called life circumstances. And that's things like age, income, education, health, marital status, occupation. So these are things that are sort of within our control, but sort of not in our control. They're sort of in between. And then all the rest is very much influenced by our conscious thoughts and actions. So that's what I really focus on. What can you do with your conscious thoughts and actions starting tomorrow without spending a lot of time, energy, or money that is going to help push you up to the top of your natural range? Because why not? That's why the not? hanging fruit. That's the stuff like you, if you think about it, you could probably do a lot of it without that much effort once you sort of think it through. And so that's what I'm really focused on. What are those very, very manageable, ordinary things that an ordinary person can do as part of their regular day? And do you find yourself taking your own advice? Like, because as you said, you're someone who lives in the moment, you don't actually think forward a lot. So mm -hmm. like now that you've learned all these, do you find yourself actually adopting them? And what are some of them? Oh, I do. I do a bazillion. Um, yes, I do them all the time. Now, one of the things that I learned when I wrote my book better than before, uh, I wrote a book better than before, because it, which is about habit formation, how people can make and break habits. Because if you think about happiness, you realize a lot of times we know perfectly well what would make us happier. We're just having trouble following through. So you know that you'd be happier if you got more sleep or you ate more healthfully, or you exercise more regularly, or you made time to see your friends, or you made time to read consistently or work on your novel or finish your PhD or whatever it might be. You're struggling with the habit. So that got me very focused on, on the role of habits and happiness. And what I realized is that when it comes to human nature, people are divided into four categories, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And this has a huge influence on how you keep resolutions, how you keep habits, how you approach the world. And if people want to like take a quiz and find out what they are, they can just go to GretchenRubin.com slash quiz. It's very short and free and like 3 million people have taken the quiz and it will give you a little report and tell you how to use that information. But in answer to your question, I am what is in my framework, an upholder. And upholders are people who very readily meet expectations, both outer expectations and inner expectations. So for me, meeting a work deadline or keeping a New Year's resolution comes pretty easily. Sure, it's I not like that. I never screw up or I never struggle. But one of the things that I really learned, because after I wrote The Happiness Project, people kept saying, but how did you get yourself to do all those things? And I said, well, I decided they would make me happier. So I did them and then they did make me happier. So then I kept doing them. And people would say, but how did you get yourself to do them? And I thought, I don't understand what you're asking. Wow, that's interesting. And then I thought, okay, it turns out people are different. Yeah. And people are really seeing this situation in a very different way for me. And so that's what led me to understanding this framework, which is called the Four Tendencies Framework. And what I've discovered is I'm kind of a rare, extreme personality type. I went into it thinking I was kind of like very typical. No, it turns out I'm like really on the extreme. And it suited the, the project because it's like most people aren't going to want to do 50 things, 100 things, 500 things. But I love to do that kind of stuff. So that's why, you know, I try it. 
I try all these things so you can figure out what you want, the few things that you want to try. But that's why uh, I kind of am very suited to this structure and this approach. Isn't that fascinating? It really is. Because here you are thinking, okay, if I give people a list of everything and they just do it. A hundred percent. Kate, that's exactly what I thought when I started. I'm yeah. like, I'll just figure out what the best practices are and then people can just do it. Yeah. And what? why do you think they don't? Well, because it's not good advice for them. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. No tool fits every hand. And often when something doesn't work for a person, they get very discouraged. They think there's something wrong with me. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm lazy. I'm not a real grown up. And they think I need to change. There's something wrong with me. And I'm now I'm like, you don't need to change. There's nothing wrong with you. Whatever you are struggling with, I'm confident many, many, many people struggle with the same thing. There are so many ways to achieve an aim if you do it the way that's right for you. And to take an example that everyone is familiar with, morning people and night people. This is a real thing. It's largely a function of genetics and age. But 30% of people are like real night people. 40% of people are real morning people. Everybody else is kind of in the middle. And I remember talking to a friend who I've known for years. I know this guy very well. And he said to me, you know what my New Year's resolution is? I'm going to get up early and go for a long run every day before work. And I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> Not because I want to be discouraging, but I'm just saying, do you know yourself? <laughs> because you're a night person and you are your lowest energy. You can barely get out of bed in time to like start your work day on time. The idea that you're going to get up early and go for a run is just not reasonable. You should do it later in the day yeah. when your energy is high. I know a night person, her form of exercise is she dances to Beyonce from midnight to 1230 every night. <laughs> This is not what the experts tell you, right? They've got a million reasons why you should do it first thing in the morning, but it's not good advice for her. Sure, sure. So, so suit yourself. So the thing is, is just, I think the reason a lot of times people don't do it is they've set it up in a way that isn't right for them. And then when it doesn't work, instead of saying like, okay, well, that didn't work. So let me try something different. They double down or they reproach themselves for the fact that it didn't work instead of just trying it a different way. And this is the thing about the four tendencies. It's like the biggest group of people is obligers. And what obligers need to meet an inner expectation is they need outer accountability. So these are the people who say, I'm really good at keeping my promises to other people. Why can't I keep my promises to myself? I'm like, well, because you're an obliger. And there's a very straightforward answer to that, which is create outer accountability. You want to read more? Join a book group. You want to exercise more? Take a class where the instructor will know if you don't show up. Work out with a friend who will be annoyed if you don't show up. Take your dog for a run who's going to be so disappointed. Raise money for a philanthropy. Think of your duty to be a role model for other people. Think of your duty to be your future self. There are so many ways to create outer accountability when you realize that's what you need. But if people say to you, oh, you just need to learn to put yourself first, or you just need to get clear on what you want. You just need to make yourself a priority. I'm like, it's not like that's not a good idea to do it. But if you're an obliger, that's not going to work. It's yeah. not going to help you exercise. I'm just saying it's not going to be effective. Yeah, that's really fascinating that that people need that accountability or they won't move. Like that yeah. is what that is the secret to unlocking whatever they need to be doing. That is really interesting. For some people, but here's the tricky part. There are rebels. That's the smallest group. So rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. And if somebody else tells them or asks them to do something, they're likely to resist. So for them, outer accountability is actually counterproductive. They are actually less likely to do something if they I feel like someone me. is looking over their shoulder or holding them accountable. So if you're talking to a rebel and you're like, look, just sign up for a class. If you sign up for a class, you'll go. A, a rebel, even you might convince the rebel, 
okay, well, if it really, gosh, if it worked for Kate, maybe if I just sign up for the class, I'll go. And then they don't go. And then they're like, what's wrong with me? It's like, no, it's because you're a rebel. There's a totally different approach that works for rebels. Once you know you're a rebel, you can use all those tools of which there are many. Rebels are unstoppable, but they've got to do it in the rebel way. And so just because something, you can't be like, well, accountability will help. Help some people. Some people, it's kind of like, eh, it's kind of, as an upholder, I'm like, I often find it useful, but I don't really need it. Yeah, right. No, no, no. And then, and then rebels resist it 100%. So, so, of course, you can never say never with a rebel. I'm sure there's a rebel being like, well, I love accountability. I'm like, yeah, you rebels, you're going to do you, you know, like whatever works for you. But I'm just like, I'm not going to tell you. With obligers, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty much going to tell you. You need outer accountability. That's what's going to work. Well, you know, I interviewed Deepak Chopra and I asked him if he, he had to, could distill the number one lesson mm. that he could impart. And he said, simply know thyself. And mm -hmm. it's really, really at the heart of what you're talking about, especially with with this concept. But it's hard. Sometimes you don't know yourself. Sometimes oh, you, you have to be shown yourself. You have oh, to be 100%. explained it like that, you know? Oh, it's, it is so hard to know ourselves yes. because we're confused by what we wish we were like right. or what other people expect from us or what we assume about ourselves. I'm an underbuyer. So there's overbuyers and underbuyers and people in between. It means exactly what you would think. It took me forever to realize I was an underbuyer because I had been so inculcated with this idea that everybody loves to shop, everybody loves to buy, everybody has to hold themselves back from doing impulse shopping, that I was like a full-grown adult before I looked around. And I was like, you know what? Actually, I don't like to buy things. I don't like to, like, I have to force myself to buy. If I see two shirts I like, I have to make myself buy both because I'm like, I'm not coming back here for a long time ever if I can help it. Because I had been, just been sort of taught that, oh, everybody likes it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so I think it's very confusing. So one of the things I talk about on the Happier podcast, and I even have all these journals on my site that are called Know Yourself Better journals. And they have questions because it is very hard to know ourselves. And so it can be very helpful if somebody says to you something like, what do you lie about? Because what you lie about, when you lie about something, you're showing that your actions don't reflect your values. That's something that often we don't want to admit to ourselves. Similarly, whom do you envy? A lot of times we don't like to admit that we envy somebody. It's it's painful, but it's a very useful thing to realize. Or a lot of adults say that they don't know what to do for fun. And a great question is, what did you do for fun when you were 10 years old? Because that's probably something that you would enjoy now as an adult. And so often by asking questions to people, purposeful questions that are bringing out useful information, then it's like, what's your favorite color? I love colors. I love talking to people about their favorite colors, but it does it's not that illuminating. But there are questions where you really can get like this question. How do you respond to expectations, outer expectations and inner expectations? Once you know that about yourself, it unlocks all this actionable insight where you really know what to do with what you've learned about yourself. So it's not just mere self-reflection, which is valuable. It's self-reflection in order to understand how to set yourself up for the life you want. Mm. So something like knowing, are you a morning person or a night person? Well, that's a really important insight because it's like, okay, how are you going to load your work day? How are you going to divide up tasks with your sweetheart or spouse? Maybe you do morning tasks and your sweetheart or spouse does night tasks because you're so beat at the end of the day, but you're your sweetheart is like, they're still running high. Like don't share tasks, divide tasks because you have these different energy patterns. So anyway, I, but you're right. I mean, know thyself. It's like the oldest advice, but it is the great challenge of our lives. It really is. And to give people actionable ways to know themselves better, which it sounds like yeah. many of your books do, yes. is priceless. It really is priceless. I'm interested to know 
What are you excited about right now? Like, are you working on something? It could be personally or professionally, but like, what has you running to the library to use an mm. example of your past where you're researching something? What, what's got you going right now? Well, something that I just finished, but I'm still sort of working through because a lot of times you put something out in the world and then you, you sort of have to see the ripple effect. So my most recent book is called Life in Five Senses, and it was all about how we can tap into our five senses for greater happiness. And I love a quiz because you're right, exactly to your point. Know yourself better. A great thing is a quiz. People love a quiz, and it's a great way for people to get that insight. So I did this very fun quiz. What's your neglected sense? So what I realized as I was writing about Life in Five Senses is that most of us have a sense that we really love. And so those are appreciated sense or senses. And so these are senses that we love to learn about it. We love to explore it. We love to have adventures. We love to use it to connect with other people. We turn to it for pleasure or comfort. But then most of us have a neglected sense. And this is the sense where we don't use it to connect with other people. We're not trying to learn more about it. We're often more aware of the negatives or irritations of that sense than we are in the upsides of that sense. Give me an example, Gretchen, just so people can understand it a little bit better. Okay. So for instance, my most appreciated sense is smell. I love the sense of smell. I have all these samplers. Candles. I've got so many candles okay. lit right now. I, I, I like even kind of bad smells because they're so intense. I'm very aware of the smells of different environments, like hardware store smell, department store smell, how different parts of the grocery store smell differently. Yes. Um, I'm very curious. Like if I, I will often like just walk through my kitchen and open up a spice jar and just smell it. It's like, I it sounds like you're a smell person too. Whereas other people are like, eh, what are you talking about? But then, but my most neglected sense is one that many people really cherish, which is the sense of taste. I'm not that interested in the sense of taste. I'm not a foodie. I'm not adventurous. I don't care at all about going to new restaurants. If you want to go, we can go. I'm picky. Yes. Um, you know, I'm very focused on the downsides. But what? But when I took the quiz, when I figured it out for myself that my most neglected sense was taste, it showed me like, oh, I can lean into this. Like I did a taste timeline to use my sense of taste to reflect on my, my past. Um, I had a taste party with friends where we did all these taste comparisons. I went to Flavor University to learn more about taste. And I love doing taste comparisons. Like, what are these five comparisons of apple varieties? It's like they taste really different when you are comparing them. Or like Heinz ketchup is bonkers. Heinz ketchup is fa all five of the basic tastes. It's sweet. It's sour. It's bitter. It's salty. It's umami. That is almost impossible to pull off. Like go take a taste of Heinz ketchup and it will absolutely amaze you with so much is happening in your mouth. It explains why it's the secret ingredient in so many foods and why so many people love it because it is, it's a superfood. Anyway, so once I realized that, that I went to dining in the dark with my, with my husband and my daughter, like where they blindfolded us. We had, like, so I was, I thought, Hey, I have all this low hanging fruit. I never turned to my sense of taste. Now that I'm going to put my attention on it, all of a sudden I thought, Oh, there's all these kind of fun, interesting things to try and experiences to have. And it's just, it's giving me the sense of vitality because I'm boosting the sense of the world streaming in through my senses. I'm using it to connect with other people and my memories. I called up my sister and we had this long talk about all the foods that we ate as children. Because of course, my childhood is her childhood. When we were together, we bought a, um, a box of cherry Pop-Tarts because we were like, oh my gosh, it's what we used to beg our grandparents to buy for us. I'm like, Elizabeth, we have to, have, we have to have one bite. Like I just have to taste is it as good as we remember? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, a cherry Pop-Tart 
is so delicious. It was exactly the way we remembered it. So anyway, so the, and again, if you go to GretchenRubin.com slash quiz, you can take that quiz and find out and get some suggestions for the kinds of things that you would do in order to tap into a neglected sense. And it's just, again, it's this low hanging fruit. It's something that when you know that about yourself, you can look for things to bring into your life that you would have overlooked otherwise, because this is an area that you neglect. What is one thing that you are looking forward to doing in 2024 or incorporating into your life to make it better? Oh, so many things. I'm doing the Happiness Project again. It's the 15th anniversary, so I'm doing the Happiness Project Revisited. I love that. Um, I have a course that I'm doing, and I'm doing it as well. So, I mean, it's everything from, well, there's a huge amount of research about napping. And I, I kind of experimented with napping. And now I'm like, okay, I really want to make this a habit. If I can nap, I really want to nap because I realize it really does boost my productivity and focus and mood for the rest of the day. So that's a very simple thing. I want to find an organization that supports a cause that I believe in and really figure out how to get involved with that. I want to, you know, engage that way. So that's a much more transcendent and demanding one. So that I have, you know, those and so many things. I want to uh, work on eliminating food waste and other kinds of ways. Like if we're ordering takeout, remember to say food only so they don't give us implements and like ketchup packets. I love ketchup, but hey, I got a bottle myself. I don't need a ketchup packet. Or, you know, thinking about how we can make purchases or or eat food in a way so that we minimize food waste because that's such a big problem. Oh, one of my things, speaking of waste, is to take the shortest possible shower. Again, this is very small, <laughs> but I, I'm very cold. And so I don't like taking showers. And then once I'm in, I don't want to get out. So I just stay in there. And I'm like, no, I'm going to I'm going to make it into a game. Take the shortest possible shower. And I'm sort of ridiculously excited to do this. Because I'll save water, I'll save energy, I'll save time. And the fact is, I'm just as cold when I get out of the shower if I'm in there for three hours or three seconds. So I might as well just get in and get out. You could take so, a cold immersion shower. You oh could take a gosh, freezing no. cold shower. That would be short and then you'd get out and then you'd have all the physical benefits of that cold immersion. Oh, uh, no, <laughs> that's not me. Hey, see again, no tool fits every hand. Kate, that could be a great solution for you. That could be a huge happiness booster for you. You could get all kinds of benefits from it. And I'm just here to say, that is one. I did cryotherapy one time just out of curiosity. And I was like, okay, well, that was an interesting experience, which I feel no need to ever replicate. Repeat. It didn't make me feel energetic. It actually made me feel very sluggish. Oh, it, it, so, it made me feel euphoric. It so that, did. Yes, I was Let's euphoric. See. Interesting. And so have you, do you do it? Do you do it? Frequently? I try. I try to. And especially if there's a cold plunge pool, like if I go to a hotel with that, oh. we don't, we don't see, really have it. But see, I did a cold plunge as well. And it ha gave me the same thing of sluggishness. See, this is very interesting. But this is exactly a perfect illustration of the idea that like no tool fits every hand. And so if you're like, it's not to say that cryotherapy isn't a good idea for some people. But if it doesn't work for me, I don't have to keep doing it right. over and over or feeling like Kate's right, I'm wrong. It's just like, that's interesting. Kate has a great tool that works for her. And whenever she wants it or has the chance to do it, excellent. And that's just fun for her and great. It's not something that works for me. So I will find other things. I love that. Because these things don't have to be universal in order to be effective. No, no, no. We're all very, very different. I, you yes. know, as you were talking, I can't imagine you have you are a person who is so 
full of great ideas. And I, do you just have notebooks everywhere yeah. in every room of your house I to do. write down these ideas? How do you capture yeah. them? I mean, really, I'm, I'm truly fascinated. I'd love to like follow you around for a day. You say you have these ideas like you're on a, a bus or you're walking on a yeah. rainy day. Like I'm just, but where are you writing them down? How are you capturing them? Is it in your phone, in the notes yeah. app or what's going uh, on? Well, my handwriting is so bad that everything really does have to be typed up eventually. And then, and then I have these huge troves. So I don't use my notes app, but I will email myself something and then I'll because I have like all, all these huge running documents that make sense to me. And then I will go through and add it into my documents. Or when I read, I'll take notes as I read and then I will put them into these documents and uh, write myself. I have just like scraps of paper, you know, with notes on it that eventually get sorted into their right buckets. And I like that because I don't really organize material as I'm documenting it, but then I can search for what I'm looking for. And that itself kind of kicks up unusual juxtapositions, kind of unexpected associations. So it's a very kind of crude system, but it works really well for me. This conversation has been absolutely fascinating for me, and I know it will be for the for the listeners. I really thank you for your time, Gretchen. I think you're doing such interesting and important work, really. Oh, well, thank you. I so enjoyed the chance to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. And I'm hoping to take one of your quizzes later today. Oh, yes. Let me know what you get. I'm always so curious. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.